Welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron is up this week. What are you bringing to the table? Um, so I want to talk about HB1. Mm-hmm. And so that's some legislation that was just signed into law in Florida. Um, it has a couple other names. I think uh, it was Senate Bill 484 or something. I, it just got signed into law. And it's super restrictive and is vehemently opposed by progressive groups throughout Florida. Um, So we're going to talk mostly about that topic, but in sort of preparing for that, um, we both read some op-eds about it and some responses from organizations that have, um, that organizations have made to it actually being passed and signed into law today. Um, So we're going to discuss you know, that broadly, but some of the background um, that we, we went through was an opinion piece written by and published on the ACLU of Florida website, um, and that was called Governor DeSantis's Anti-Protest Legislation is Hostile, Harmful, and Fundamentally Anti-Democratic. Uh, there's an opinion piece by Patricia Brigham and Peggy Kinsey, uh called Legislature's Anti-Protest Bill is Anti-American, which was published in the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, and then I found another piece called DeSantis Anti-protest, anti-peaceful protest bill uh, is bad for basic civil rights, bad for the budget, um, which was written by a policy analyst at the Florida Policy Institute, and her name is Tashana Joseph Mark. Uh, And then we're also going to talk a little bit about a statement that the Dream Defenders made Mm -hmm. and a statement that the Black Collective made. Um, We also reviewed a Twitter thread um, by the aforementioned policy, Florida Policy Institute, um, yeah, so there's a lot here that we, we read. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, to try to have this conversation today. Um, but I wanted us to talk about this law here because I think it's important to understand how established power structures are actively finding ways to fight back against movement work. Um, and I think that this is particularly uh, an insidious response by the Florida mm-hmm. government because um, there's a bunch of these pieces that we read um, point out most of this stuff is unnecessary that is in the law because there are already laws on the books that speak to and criminalize things already. Um, so this law makes the penalties harsher. Um, it makes it easier for the government to repress speech um, through law enforcement. And they found that they could make that happen by effectively sort of casing this as a response to so-called riots. Um, and so they're able to get everybody on board because everybody's opposed to, to riots. Um, and then that goes, um, the, the law goes further and we'll talk about this to limit the ability of local governments, Mm -hmm. um, from making decisions about their own budgets and ensuring that they cannot, the law has stipulations that they cannot redirect funding from a police department budget to another municipal or County budget line. Mm -hmm. Um, so on the whole, it's just very, restrictive repressive um yeah there's so there's a lot going on i think there's a lot to talk about um and it, it feels like a, a different conversation than what we what we normally do yeah um but also related because i think it's like it's you know 
we're talking about what's happening right now and what we can learn from that and and how we can continue to move forward and try to be in a space where we're opposed to and working in opposition to things like this. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's real. Like you said, this was signed into law today. And so, you know, um, I think you, you said the word insidious and it got Mm -hmm. me. I think that's just a really incredible way to describe everything about this. Um, and so I'm, I'm, really glad that you brought this HB1 situation to the table and and have shined a light on it because I think it's important for folks to know that this is happening. You know, it's happening right now. And and as we said, it's now the law of the land in Florida. Um, And I think it very well could be the case that lots of folks don't know that it's happening because it's happening in Florida, right? And folks may not be paying attention to Florida for a variety of reasons, right? You're not from there, right? It's, It's... crazy Florida, right? And uh, there's always something happening there. But, um, you know, I also think on top of that is that is the fact that every day now there seems to be just several earth shattering news stories that 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 come out uh, and take our attention away and our energy away from from the previous one, you know, another, you know, police shooting, right? Uh, 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 Infrastructure bill, you know, whatever it may be, you know, these these trials that are happening, right? Um, And so there's there's just so much going on, and so uh, I appreciate that you've brought this to the table, and I think it's important for all of us to to know about this anti-protest law in Florida. Um, you know, when you brought this up last week um, and said that you're going to bring this to the table, I had this thought that it sounded familiar to me. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm glad that these pieces, especially the the ACLU one and the Orlando Sentinel pieces. Um, mentioned and talked about that like they they both really referenced how governor DeSantis originally proposed this back in september uh, mm-hmm. of last year in response to the black lives matter movement and and then i feel like we didn't hear anything about it for a while and 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 as we said now it's back and it's unfortunately the law of the land and so um you know i i think one of the things that i appreciated about both the aclu and the orlando sentinel pieces is that i think that they were really direct with their language to to name and describe what this legislation yes. is, right? Yep. You know, the ACLU in their piece said that this legislation is all about silencing dissent. Mm-hmm. They said that this legislation is all about breeding political division and distracting Floridians, and, and I think really all of us, from uh, Governor DeSantis's failures to, to manage the response to the coronavirus pandemic in the state. Yeah. Um, you know, they talked about how this legislation is all about criminalizing peaceful protesters. And unlike what he has said, has nothing to do with public safety. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and to that point, I think they said that this legislation is all about both silencing and arresting black and brown folks and and all folks, uh, but especially black and brown folks who who believe in and are protesting for and are fighting for. Uh, social justice and, and civil rights and collective liberation, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the Orlando Sentinel piece, um, I think just really directly names how, as you mentioned, unnecessary this legislation is given state and, and federal laws that already exist and with what the First Amendment guarantees us. Right. Um, 
And then I think sort of across both pieces, you know, as sort of their titles allude to, right, like they sort of directly named that this legislation is anti-American and, and anti-democratic and just fundamentally wrong. And and spoiler alert, if you couldn't pick this up from how I'm talking about this now, what Aaron just said, you know, we really both agree with that assessment. Yep. Um, I don't know. I I'm sure I'll find more eloquent words to to talk about this as we go on. But, you know, as I read all of the the wonderful stuff that you brought to the table and and I even read parts of this legislation um, and, and now it's a law um, and and took in all of the arguments against it that were presented in these pieces. You know, I don't know. It's just trash. Right. Yeah. I think it's reactionary nonsense. Like you yeah. said, like, um, you know, DeSantis proposed this stuff back in September um, and then we didn't hear much about it um, for several months and then it was actually filed on uh, the night of January 6th or the day after oh, January right. 6th yeah um, and so it was um, yeah there's some political gamesmanship in that too right of, mm-hmm. of when they chose to file this um, but I think that um, how I'm choosing to interpret some of this okay. um, is that I think that the power structures got scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people in the power structures got scared. I think Ron DeSantis is terrified that the people are building a multiracial coalition to fight for more justice in the state of Florida. Um, and so, you know, what do you do when you're a governor and you're in power um, and you're this guy? Um, you don't like the way that things are going. You change the rules of the game. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I think that this this quote from Tashana Joseph Mark uh, from her piece that she wrote um, really speaks to that. And so she said, the bill broadly defines the word riot in a way that would subject to arrest anyone who participates in a peaceful protest where three or more people engage in disorderly conduct. Mm. Um, and that's a direct way to chill speech and, and you know... Um, stop protests from happening right um because a bunch of people may not want to risk arrest because i'm not sure what everybody's gonna do yeah um you know we read another piece that was on the hill that i didn't i didn't mention um but they said there's a you know hypothetical scenario there's a thousand people marching through the street and uh one person throws a brick through a window um you know, there's 999 other people there who are now potentially yep. subject to arrest because of the actions of one person. And we also know that these protests and demonstrations get infiltrated. Um, Absolutely. And so not everybody who's doing all this stuff that shows up on the news are actually in like in line with the protesters. They show up to make them look bad because that's what the media, that's the story that the media will cling on to because it's an easier story of like, you know, the protest was mostly violent, but somebody also threw a brick through a target. Um, And that's right. So that's a a piece of this. And so this is a a direct way to chill speech and to, to make people afraid of going to demonstrations because what are, you know, uh, what are, what are some people going to do that I can't control because I don't know them and whatever. Um, So they might not go to a demonstration just for the fear of being the protest being labeled as a riot. Yeah. Um, because who actually defines what disorderly conduct is, mm-hmm. right? And that's a part of that riot definition is yes. 
um, it's it's disorderly conduct. And whose judgment is that? The police who yeah. are present. Um, and so this is a way to increase the power of the discretion of the police who are responding to a protest, which is in you know direct conflict um, and in opposition to the demands of organizers who are leading these protests. Absolutely. Um, and so I, it's it's a metaphorical middle finger to the movement for Black Lives in yeah. the shape of a law. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned this idea of uh, uh, that DeSantis is responding to this multiracial coalition, right? And folks who are fighting for for justice, right? And, and and to these power structures, if you will, that's the nicest way for me to put that in this moment, right? That is clearly a scary thought. And that's how we're yeah. here, right? That's why we're here, right? And they're sort of... Yeah. I mean, that's why they killed... That's, you know, that, that's why they killed Fred Hampton. Yeah. That's why... Um, the Black Panthers, you know, we we don't actually know the story of the Black Panthers, so you know, is because they were doing, they were building coalitions, um, across across race and across class to challenge larger power structures and provide services directly to communities and stuff that the you know, the government and the power structures didn't like, and so Absolutely. they shut that down. Yeah, but, um, you know, I. I appreciate it. You mentioned Tashana Joseph Mark's piece, and I appreciated it for so many reasons, but uh, especially for how she connects the dots around how dangerous this legislation and, and, and now law is to Florida's budget, um, and, yeah. and specifically its Department of Corrections budget. You know, and you alluded to this at the start of the conversation, but you know, she actually used the numbers of arrests for nonviolent offenses during protests that took place in Florida in, in May of last year. As sort of this case study, uh, and and ap- and applied it to what that would have cost the state under this new law, and the figures were just astronomical. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. Um, and so, not only is this law bad for the civil rights of Florida residents, you know, it's also really bad for for Florida's budget, which to me just adds to this laundry list of of reasons why, you know. This is not. This does not make sense, and this is just shameful stuff. Yeah, I, and so in more context to Florida's budget too is that um, it's mostly driven by tourism because there's no state income tax. There's no state income tax. It's right. all sales tax and property tax, but property tax is usually local. So you know, for for big state budgets like the Department of Corrections, that's mostly coming from tourism, which is not happening in the same rate over the last year in the in the context of the pandemic right so right like that's that's another mitigating factor here that i feel like this just blows past which makes sense because of desantis's exactly. seemingly um uh flippant attitude about the need to respond effectively to the pandemic absolutely and think of all the floridians who have gotten sick and died from covid mm-hmm. um you know as we've alluded to and said sort of plainly, I think everything about this anti-peaceful protest law is is troubling and, and atrocious. And I and I think that the ACLU piece in particular does a really good job of describing sort of all of the major elements of it so, in sort of broad strokes, major elements of it, which I think is important information to absorb, to understand why uh, this is so troubling. Um and for me, two of the elements of this law really stood out to me as being the m- most especially 
problematic, which is even hard to say because it's it's all bad. But, you know, the first was that it actually incentivizes violence by folks who kill or injure protesters yep. because it creates an affirmative defense for them. And, you know, when I read that and I sort of reflected on it, it actually made me think about what happened in Charlottesville uh, back in, I think, 2017, when that neo-Nazi, you know, he was this self-proclaimed neo-Nazi, drove his car through a crowd of anti-racism protesters uh, and killed Heather Heyer. Yep. And, you know, with the way that this law is written, it would seem as though, you know, if that had happened in Florida with this new law in effect, that, you know, especially in sort of civil court, he could get away with it, right? And And, you know, certainly in that case, you know, that's not accounting for the federal charges. Um, and, you know, I think in the case of Charlottesville, you know, he was charged and pleaded guilty to federal charges, including federal hate crimes. But, you know, to think about that and what happened in Charlottesville and to think about what this law now incentivizes in Florida, to me, it's just unconscionable. Yeah. Um, and so I think what the ACLU piece goes on to say about this is, which I think is totally spot on, is how legislation would inevitably lead to more violence and embolden white supremacists and white nationalists and and racists to kill protesters in Florida. And I'm just like, what? Like, yeah. this is where we are. Um, the So I said two things. The other part of the law that stood out to me as particularly horrendous was the part that allows for folks to be held in jail without the possibility of bail, right? And you sort of talked about... Um, how, uh, f- you know, folks are going to be in less inspired or less willing to go out uh, potentially because of this. I mean, what other folks may do, but, I, you know, I think all this is going to do, this idea of being held in jail without the possibility of bail um, is just going to deter more people um, yeah. from actively participating in protests in Florida. Um, and so, again, I just think everything about this is wrong and, you know, but the fact that this bill is now the law of the land in Florida and and part of it, as I said, in, incites violence against protesters and another part of it deters people from actually expressing their First Amendment right to protest. I'm just I'm really just kind of baffled by all this. Yeah, I think the that piece about um, I mean, the, all all of it yeah. um, and adding on to what you said about the, the bail, like holding people without bail before they can see a judge, I think is what the, what the thing is. Right. Yes. But you know, let's say that there's a demonstration on a Friday night. Uh, um, that means that you're not seeing a judge probably till Monday Yeah, at the earliest. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that was, I think that was part of, um, the analysis by Tashana Joseph Mark, um, is that that's, that would be an increased expense because yes. now you're holding somebody Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night. And so, you know, what does that cost to municipal budget and holding somebody in city or county jail um, for those three nights when they could post bail for, you know, a relatively nonviolent, like a nonviolent charge. Right. And then, you know, come back later um, to, to talk to a judge. Um, And so, yeah, so that's, that's another piece that is, it's just all of this, all combined, it, it's wild, mm-hmm. um, and why I wanted to talk about it because um, I think it's definitely designed to chill and limit speech. Yeah. Um, 
you know, there's way more avenues for the state to suppress speech, um, especially speech that they don't like. Yeah. Um, but and by providing that escape from civil liability for harming protest protesters, that's like that's another way um, to embolden people to to take violent action. Yeah. Um, because they don't. Yeah, it's sort of it's a built in defense. Right. Um, I think another piece of this that's really wild to me is that a city. So the governor and their cabinet can reject and amend a city budget because they don't like that a city might have cut funding to a police department. Say more about that. So if you're, this is built into this law, if you're a local city decided that they needed a few more teachers or a new school project was necessary, you know, maybe facility was, um, in need of some serious repair and, and renovation. Um, and so that was more necessary than, um, you know, a, an extra hundred thousand dollars for the police department. So they cut it right. And, and managing the city budget. Um, so that decision is based on local needs that, and that could just be overruled by the governor and their mm-hmm. cabinet. Wow. Um, so this so-called small government party, um, is now pushing these reforms and has pushed them, right? Like yep. It's law now. Yeah. Um, that give the governor of a state of, of the state of Florida huge amounts of power in local decisions that they don't necessarily know anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just you know, because it looks like um, maybe they they're quote unquote defunding the police, right? And right. that's what this is about. Oh, is absolutely. That, um, well, you took money away from here to give it to move it over there, so that's defunding the. And it's like, well, I, maybe it is. Maybe that was the intention. Yeah. Why do you, as the governor, get to weigh in on that at all? So that's another piece of this. Is like sort of mind-boggling, just to have all of this all like sort of lumped together in one one piece of legislation is just astounding, mind-blowing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I almost ooped there when you said. Uh, the so-called small government party. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Um, I think one of the other things I was sort of thinking about as I was, as I was getting ready for our conversation today was I think one of the most compelling arguments at the core of, um, particularly the ACLU and the Orlando Sentinel pieces is this bottom line argument and, and recognition that HB1 is in direct misalignment with American values. So sort of taking this like grander look at things, right? And and in direct opposition to something that I talked about in our last episode, which is the the power of protest and and what the power of protest has meant for advancing social justice in this country. And I think that's such an important thing to name when we're talking about why this law is so problematic yeah right and absolutely and the the orlando sentinel piece i think spoke directly to this point and so i'm going to quote what they said they said we the people have seen the power of the right to assemble from the days of william penn to the modern civil rights movements abolitionists took to the streets to raise awareness to raise the nation's awareness of the evils of slavery Suffragists used the power of protest to redress the grievance of voter disenfranchisement from a large segment of the population, women. 
labor activists, religious organizations, LGBTQ communities, and other groups throughout our nation have gathered with their collective voices to call for redress of problems that plague our democracy. As a result, Americans of all racial, ethnic, cultural, and religious backgrounds have peacefully protested and made positive changes. This is the essence of democracy. This is the essence of a government as described by Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address, quote, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And, you know, I wanted to share that quote because I think it absolutely speaks truth to power regarding sort of what the impact of protests, right, and 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 this collective work that we talk about here uh, on this show, uh, what that in, in this country, what that's done uh, for us, and 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 how it's one of our many rights uh, in this country. Mm. Um, you know, I I definitely grumbled a little bit <laughs> at that sort of of the people by other people for the people thing because you know i don't want to be too down here but you know there's there's a lot of shit uh you know happening in this country and there's a lot of folks that look like me in particular you know who don't feel that right um Mm -hmm. particularly in 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 these current times that we find ourselves in but um and there are just so many examples of the way of ways in which the government has failed us um, but I think that that quote overall and its sentiment, you know, and what these two pieces in particular talk about really get to the point of why this law is so troubling. Um, and and I have another thought about it, but I think it's probably better for, for application. So I'm going to save it. But, um, you know, this is just it's, it's mind blowing. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I said earlier that. We would talk about and share statements maybe from oh yeah the yeah. Black Collective and the Dream Defenders. So I'm just going to read pieces of what they released today. Okay. Um, so this is from the Black Collective. This morning, just days after the Republican-led Florida Senate voted to pass an unprecedented, costly, and racially charged bill, House Bill 1, to censor protest, preempt local policing budgets, and preserve symbols of white supremacy, Governor DeSantis is signing it into law. The bill passed despite widespread opposition by Floridians of all political ideologies and diverse sectors after Governor DeSantis DeSantis made it his number one legislative priority and lobbied behind doors to make sure it passed both chambers as early as possible. The new law, which does nothing more than silence dissent and criminalize peaceful protesters, will disproportionately censor, incarcerate, and kill black Floridians simply exercising their constitutional rights, setting a dangerous precedent of criminalization and repression. In the middle of an unprecedented global health crisis, Floridians needed resources and relief, not dangerous and costly laws that go against America's values of democracy and freedom of expression. Which in that statement, pause and almost um, mentioned that we didn't even talk about how it's baked in there to protect Confederate yep. monuments. I was just like, looking at you like, is he going to say it or am I going to say it? Right. Like, yeah. So it's in there. It's in there. And we, we didn't even talk about it because the, there's just so many things yeah. in it. Right. Um, just, the other thing I appreciate about this statement from them is sort of the mention of COVID. Right. And the mention of the pandemic. Right. right. Sort of as they yeah, say yeah. in the in the middle of this. And because we're still damn near in the middle of it, it feels like, right? Yeah. You know, all of this has happened and this is actually what Floridians need and all of us need, but instead we're doing this. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Um, and then, so the Dream Defenders released uh, their own statement. They were sort of co-signed on that Black Collective one too. Um, one of their co-directors was signed on that. But um, they wrote, for generations, Florida has been the birthplace of movements. We've used protests as a vehicle to win rights, mobilize people to the ballot box, and hold our public officials accountable. Ron DeSantis wants to end all of that. He just signed HB1 into a law, a bill that makes protesting a felony, even making it legal for white supremacists to turn their vehicles into weapons. Mm. This is all in direct response to the 26 million people who protested over the summer of 2020, spurred by the police murder of George Floyd. Our racist governor used this outrageous tragedy as a political opportunity to silence his critics, play politics, and legislate racism. And today, as the world watches the closing arguments for George Floyd's murderer, DeSantis signed HB1 into law. Our lives are a game to him. Um, so I wanted to share those two statements because I think they're very powerful and they speak to um, how outrageous this law is. Um, and how much of an impact it potentially will have on on people um, in Florida. Yeah. I hadn't seen or read this Dream Defenders uh, statement before this moment, right now, as you read it. Uh, and so um, I'm having some, some reactions in my body to it, right? Because yeah. particularly that last sentence, our lives are a game to him, right? And especially mm -hmm. sort of I think about... Um, all the things that happened last week in our country and uh, sort of uh, my reactions to it and um, the ways in which I sort of uh, navigated the world last week and many folks that look like me did too, you know, this idea of our lives being a game to uh, Ron DeSantis and so many uh, of his comrades uh, yeah. is really infuriating, um, you know, yeah. obviously so, mm -hmm. yeah. So thank you for sharing those. And as, mm -hmm. as Aaron mentioned, both of those statements were released today because this bill was uh, signed into law today. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about application. Okay. Um, I think for the most part, we've been talking about application this whole time. I think so. Yeah. Um, but um, I think it's important to consider how this law would affect movement work. Um, and, you know, I don't think that this, is going to be unique to Florida. I don't think it's staying in Florida. Um, Oklahoma just passed a bill right. that will give immunity to drivers who hit protesters as long as they fear for their life, um, which sounds pretty similar to qualified immunity to Doesn't me it, um, for the uh, police um, across the country. So um, I think, you know, I think we have to think about these kinds of laws and how they will be applied across the country Um or how, what would happen if they were everywhere, right? So you think about like Dr. King marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, um, which was, you know, blocking a road um, that would be over before it started. Mm -hmm. um, or Judy Human, we talked about a couple weeks ago in Crip Camp and yeah. her comrades shutting down an intersection in Manhattan for a few hours one afternoon, um, which essentially shut down the whole borough. Yep. Um, the whole island. Um, what would happen to them if laws like this existed um, or suffragists standing on corners outside of the White House back in 1913 
um, or some of the people we saw in Baltimore Rising who were telling people to stay on the sidewalk by stepping out into the road and like what, you know, what that would mean. Um, or even, you know, there's so many people, 26 million people protested last year. Yeah. So 26 million other stories that we don't know and what happens to those people. Um, I think that this law is terrifying because it's further emboldening violence against protesters. Um, we already saw an increase in the number of people who were hit by cars last summer. Yeah. Um, it, so this is also applicable to so many things. Um, and because I know that this isn't unique to Florida, like stuff like this will continue to spread. Um, you know, conservative um, legislators are are connected to one another and 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 bring things like this to one another to pass in their states um, in different ways. So this is not um, local to Florida. Yeah. Only man. I, yeah, I appreciate those connections to our movements of the past and present so much. And I agree with you and I share that and I want to amplify your thoughts around application of all of this because I think it's actually sort of a scary thought, you know, and, and, and I think one of the most significant dangers that anti-protest legislation like this presents to us and that's precedent right like yeah i worry about what will happen now that florida and oklahoma have passed these bills you know is that just going to give room to other states to pass similar anti-protest legislation you know and and i think thinking more broadly than that you know what other first amendment rights or other rights guaranteed to us in the constitution are going to be targeted next um yeah i as I as I've read all these pieces and I did other research and 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 thinking about this anti-protest legislation in both Florida and Oklahoma, I couldn't help but also think about the controversial new voting laws that were recently passed in Georgia as another example of troubling legislation that's out there. And so, you know, I think all that to say I, I agree with you and I think potential application here is to be aware. We have to be aware that these things are happening, that they're not only being proposed, but they're being passed. You know, we have to stay vigilant in our learning about what's going on across the country, not just what's happening in our backyards and in our states, um, but across this country. And, you know, I think always take it a step further, you know, and we're big advocates for this. You know, how, how are you being engaged? How are we all engaged with organizations and the organizers who are doing the work to make sure that you know, Florida and Oklahoma legislation like this um, doesn't get passed anywhere else. Yeah, I think we have to make those connections. Um, you know, I think the voting laws are connected to this. Oh, absolutely. Um, and this backlash. I think the um, anti-trans laws that are being passed across the country are connected to this. Yeah. Um, I think that... Um, yeah, I, I think we have to see these connections and see how it's all interwoven in different ways um, and understand it, how we're affected by this. Yeah. When you said that, you know, the, the, the word that came to mind was hate, right? What yeah. connects all of those things, honestly, is hate, right? Um, it's, I, I, it's a lot of things. It's fear and it's hate. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, it is challenging to... Um, sort of think about that, right? And rationalize that and sort of, you know, take this sort of step back and look at us, you know, as a nation and to see where we are if we think about 
um, things like this happening, what's happening in Georgia, what's happening in Oklahoma, what's happening in Florida, what's happening in so many of our places and our states um, as being sort of based in fear and hate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so much. Um, so I guess moving into homework, um, I think there's a lot of homework to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I echo what you said about getting connected with organizations. Um, so finding ways to stand up to this kind of stuff, um, whether it's happening in your backyard or not. You know, is it um, is it voting laws? Is it this kind of like anti-protest legislation? Um, is it laws... Um, you know, that are anti-trans at their core, um, finding ways to connect in and, and oppose this stuff because, um, these things are just limiting our humanity. Um, and I think we have, we got to find ways to fight back against them collectively. Um, I think, uh, you know, so if you got some money to send to organizations that you, you feel, um, passionate about or connected to in some way, um, do that, you know, buy some t-shirts from them or something. Um, also I think start to think about your risk assessment for this summer. What are you, what are you willing to do? Um, how do you want to be involved or engaged? Um, you know, if you don't have money, can you donate time to things? You phone bank for people or with people. Um, you know, the dream defender said in their statement that 26 million people were out in the streets last summer. Yeah. Um, and I think as we continue, to see more things happen, I think more people are being sort of shaken awake um, yeah. by what's going on um, around us. And so, you know, there's the killing of Adam Toledo in Chicago, um, that video that just came out last week, um, and Dante Wright in the Minneapolis area as, you know, the Derek Chauvin trial is going on there. Right. Um, and then just down the street from us, Dominique Williams and James Johnson. Um, were killed by an off-duty, off-duty um, Pentagon police officer. Um, and that was in Tacoma Park. Um, and so we have to collectively keep pushing um, for justice and find ways to do that work um, and be part of the 26 million plus who are going to be um, organizing and, and pushing this year. Yeah. You know, and I sort of alluded to how, you know, craptastic (laughs) to try to put it mildly last week was right. And it's all the reasons and all the uh, human beings that you just mentioned there. And also Lieutenant Navarro, right. And in Virginia um, uh, who was stopped by police um, and was pepper sprayed. And, you know, that, that video is also chilling. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, we have to stay vigilant. And I, and I agree. I think there's going to be, well over 26 million people this summer out in the streets and, and, and we will be two of them. Um, you know, I, I, I've said this before. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this to the table today. And, you know, and I was thinking about homework. Uh, and as I think we've both talked about today, I started to think about how, if this is happening in Florida, it could be happening everywhere. And we've talked about how it's literally happening in so many other places. And so, you know, that led me to a Google search, which led me to the International Center for -for Not-for-Profit Laws website, um, where they actually have a webpage that is tracking all of the anti-protest legislation in our country right now. And as of this moment, uh, 45 states have considered 
legislation that restrict the right to peacefully assemble. 45 states. Um, and so, you know, I would encourage folks to, to check out this website. Again, it's the International Center for Not-for-Profit Law um, to, to learn more about this and to have conversations like the one we've had today, um, especially if there's some troubling legislation proposed in, in, in your home state, um, and to think about what you might want to do to address that. Yeah, 45 states have considered um, 220 bills. Yeah. Uh, 29 have been enacted and 69 are pending. Mm. Um, so if you go to the website, there's a map that shows you um, where different things have happened that you can you can click on and see all the details of, of the different laws and, and bills that have been considered. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, an amazing resource that um, I'm glad you brought here. Um, so thank you for that. Um, all right. So you're, you're up next week. Uh, what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I told Aaron this, uh, before we got started and, and he, uh, said, we're just going to talk about the police again, huh? And I said, we sure are. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit in our last episode. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation a bit, um, because Maryland actually has become the first state to repeal its law enforcement officer's bill of rights, which is huge. Um, so I want us to talk about that and, and also talk about what the state has done to enact some police accountability measures for when police use force and around how police are investigated and, and disciplined. So to do that, I'm bringing two pieces from the Washington Post to the table next week, um, and we'll certainly share links to these articles on our social media. Um, the first is a piece that was published back in August of last year called, There's a Reason It's Hard to Discipline Police. It starts with a Bill of Rights 47 years ago. And I think that piece really sets some context about what the Bill of Rights is and, and what it is meant for, for Maryland. And then the second piece was published earlier this month, August, uh, August April of 2021, um, and it's called Maryland Enacts Landmark Police Overhaul, First State to Repeal Police Bill of Rights. Um, and, and it talks about how this repeal came to happen, uh, the reactions to it, um, and, and what it means for law enforcement in Maryland moving forward. Um, and, you know, as Aaron did today, I'm sure there are going to be other pieces and, and articles and pieces of media that we might find and include in our conversation. But I think these two Washington Post pieces are uh, a good start. So um, I'm looking forward to having this conversation because obviously, you know, I'm from Maryland. We live in Maryland. You know, this is this is home for us. And so um, it's important for us to talk about, uh, as we've said multiple times, what's happening uh, in our backyard. So I hope you'll join us for that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That's really important um, for us to learn more about and understand. And so I'm looking forward to talking about that with you right here next week. Sweet. All right. So we want to thank you for joining us and listening to Interdependent Study. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please subscribe, leave a rating and review, share our podcast, and of course, follow us on social media. Absolutely. Thank you so very much for listening to Interdependent Study. And remember, it's not about us but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.